If you are, if you've been around Southside this year, you'll know that we started the year off in the Gospel of John. Thank you. And we've been working on it for uh, several months. We we spent uh, the first uh, seven or eight months going through the Gospel of John, and then we took a break from the Gospel of John to enter into what we called 40 Days of Awakening, where we studied the Scripture for what it meant to be spiritually awake, both as individuals and as a church, and uh, we challenged one another to be fully alert and fully awake all that time. And in just a few weeks, uh, it's hard to believe, but the holiday season is upon us, and Advent will be here. And we're going to be uh, doing something that we're calling the Advent Conspiracy. I look forward to sharing a little more about that with you later. Uh, And then beginning in 2016, we will get back into the Gospel of John and continue to make our way through it. But in the meantime, following up from our conversations about spiritual awakening, I want us to take a few weeks to talk about what it means to have a faith that is built to last. A faith that goes beyond just a 40-day season or an emphasis, but something that is enduring. I want to talk about it both in terms of our faith as individuals and as a church corporately. A church that prevails and a faith that endures. I love old buildings. Some of you might share that fascination with me. My kids get a little frustrated because if we ever go anywhere and there are those plaques on walls, I like to read them. Anybody else like to read the plaques? Yeah, I, and when we drive down the road, if there's a, a, a history marker, I'm, I'm really tempted to stop and read the history marker, and my family usually complains about it. But I love things that have endured the test of time, things that have stood and they've got history behind them and meaning behind them, and just to know the, the lives of the people that must have passed in and out of that building. Um, if you drive over the the Main Street Bridge into downtown Jacksonville. I think it's called the Bostwick Building that's right there on the right. Right now it looks like it's all propped up with toothpicks. They are working so hard to restore this building that's over 100 years old. And I, I, there's part of me, that the, the, probably the not-so-good teenage boy part, that wants to at night just go in there and see that. I know that's not safe and I'm not recommending. I didn't say that at 9.30, by the way, where a lot of our students. But I know some of you students are here. Don't do that and don't say your pastor told you to. But I'm fascinated with these old buildings and these old structures. And, and, and you are probably fascinated or at least really have come to, in, to be very affectionate towards things in your life that have stood the test of time as well. Things in our lives that have endured tend to be the things that we cherish. Um, it could be a possession that you have. Maybe it was something a grandparent or a great-grandparent or your mother or father gave you. It was handed down. It has absolutely no financial value whatsoever. The Antique Roadshow is not coming to see you uh, about this item. But for you, it has tremendous meaning uh, because it has endured and it means something. It, it's, it's got memories attached to it. Uh, maybe it's a childhood home. Maybe it's an heirloom. Maybe it's a relationship. The relationships that we tend to value and cherish are relationships that have endured, friendships that have endured. Um, marriages, you know, sometimes you, you, you go through uh, life, you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and it's not always been easy, uh, but the fact that the relationship has endured has made it very precious to you. And it's not only about old things, sometimes it's about new things that we hope will endure. Uh, A new marriage that as you stand at the altar and you say, till death do us part, and the hope is that that marriage will endure. And so it has value based on the fact that you hope it endures. Relationships and friendships, also our legacy, our integrity, our character, things that we hope that go long beyond us, things that we want our children to remember about us, our grandchildren to remember about us. What are those things in our life 
that we hope will endure. What is it in your life that is built to last? And and the second question is harder than the first. How do you know it's built to last? How do you know? Because you hope that it's built to last or because it's been tested and it stood the test of time and it has endured and so you know based on the storms that have come into your life, that this marriage, this relationship, this company, this this organization, this, this character trait, this belief, this integrity is built to last, not because it has stood up when the sun is shining, but because it has endured when the storms and the rain have come as well. God will use storms and trials in your life to help you distinguish between what is permanent and what is temporary. Many of you have experienced this. You've gone through tremendous storms and things that you thought would endure that were built to last were completely obliterated by the storm and blown away. Some of you have been involved in some things where you didn't know if your marriage could withstand the storm. You didn't know if your faith could withstand the storm. You didn't know if your finances, if your business, if this church could withstand the storm. And yet, looking back, you recognize that after the storm, the storm actually helped you to identify what is it in my life, what is it in my family that is enduring, and what was temporary. I want us to look for the next several weeks at a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open. There are Bibles also in front of you, and we'll put these verses on the screens as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to spend several weeks talking about enduring faith. And we're going to use this passage out of 1 Corinthians, but we're also going to let it lead us to other stories in the Bible that talk about faith that is built to last. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, According to the grace of God given me, this is Paul writing, like a skilled master builder... I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Now, let's just stop there for a minute, and I'll remind you that Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth. This is a church that Paul had planted. He had gone there. He had taken the gospel to the city of Corinth. There were many people who came to faith in Jesus there. They banded together as a group of believers, and they formed a church. Paul went on to carry the gospel to other parts of the world, and other leaders came in after Paul. Paul says, I came in as a master builder. I laid the foundation, but there were other people who came in after me who were building upon it. And then he says something that is really critical for us to hear today. He said this, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Now, what that indicates to me is that Paul is saying, be intentional. That you have to be intentional about how you build on the foundation. Now, we're going to talk about what the foundation is in just a minute, but I I don't want to rush past this phrase right here about be careful. Because you and I have a tendency, especially in this day and age where there are distractions more than we can count, more than we can number, to, to just go through life on a moment-by-moment, crisis-by-crisis basis, meeting needs as they come up, responding to requests as they come, with no care or thought for what we're actually building on the foundation. And Paul is warning the church at Corinth. He said, you can't do that. You have to be careful. You have to be intentional about how you build on this foundation. He goes on in verse 11, and he talks about the foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying this is the non-negotiable. Our relationship, our faith in Jesus Christ, that is the foundation. That is non-negotiable. I think that perhaps when 
Paul was writing this, he may have had in mind a parable that Jesus told. It's one of Jesus' simplest and yet most enduring and, and, and memorable parables. And you can find it in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. You're probably familiar with it. This is what Jesus said, teaching this parable. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he goes on and he says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded, foundation, it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the flood came and the wind blew against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now think about this parable for just just a moment. Because if you were looking at these two houses... They look, it sounds to me, as if Jesus is describing two houses that are identical from all appearance. They're they're just two houses. We can assume that they have been built with the same material. We could even possibly assume that they were built in the same manner. They, They are two houses. That's the same. Here's something else that's the same. The storm will come to both. The rain will fall on both. The flood will rise around both. And the wind will beat against both. That is a non-negotiable. But what is different is the foundation upon which the houses were built. And the only way you knew the difference was after the storm had come. That the foundation really only mattered after the rains fell, the flood rose, and the wind blew. Some of you have found that out. Some of you know what that means. Because there was a time in your life where you would say, my life, my family was built on sand. And when the storm came, it was blown away and obliterated. And now some others of you would say, I've been through the storms, but my foundation has remained the same. Because it is built and founded on Jesus Christ, who is the rock. Paul is saying the foundation has been laid. No one can build on any other foundation but that. But there's a distinction, he's saying. It's not just about the foundation. He's saying you have to be careful about how you build on that foundation. It makes a difference too. Look with me what he says, verse 12 and 13. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and he's going to give you a list of building materials here. There are going to be six items, two categories of items. Built on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, what's Paul talking about? He's saying the foundation is in Jesus Christ, but when you come to build your faith on that foundation, you should be careful how you build on it, and you should begin by, being, by carefully considering the materials you use to build on the foundation. Gold, silver, precious stones are all things that will endure fire. Wood, straw, stubble, Those are things that will be burned up. And he is saying, when the day, capital D, comes. Now, Paul is clearly talking about some culmination in history, some judgment that is out in the future. And I believe that. But for the moment, let's not even go that far in the future. Let's just talk about the day that you received the notice from your office that your services were no longer needed. Let's just talk about the day that there was a note left for you on the nightstand. Let's talk about that day. 
when that storm came into your life? Because it's not just something in the distant future. It's a reality that comes to us in the course of our life, doesn't it? The storms come into our lives, and we never know for sure what they're going to be. There is a fire that may come and blaze its way across your neighborhood, and you never know exactly what that fire will look like. Paul is saying when the day comes, the materials that you are using to build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, it will matter on that day. It will matter how you have built on that foundation. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he or she, will receive a reward. What is the reward? Well, the reward is that what you have built stayed. What you have built has value and has stood the test of time. I know when you watch any natural disasters on the news, it doesn't take long before they begin interviewing people who survived the natural disaster. And some of them, it seems so arbitrary. You might have one house that's standing, if you've ever seen this, a house that's standing intact and a house right next to it that's been completely obliterated. And do you know the person whose house survived, what are they always saying? I am so grateful. I don't know why this house survived. I don't know why it was me, but my house is standing. Suddenly their reward is what they always had which was a house that was going to stand through the storm. But they probably didn't appreciate it before the storm came. Some of you have not appreciated the materials upon which you are building your faith until the storm came. And then you thought to yourself, I sure am glad that I make God's word a daily part of my life. I sure am glad I didn't have to wait for a crisis to learn how to pray. Because you're building carefully now with materials that make a difference on a foundation that will endure. So the reward comes after the storm. But look what he says in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will survive loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What is is Paul talking about? First of all, Paul is not telling you to question your salvation. He's not advocating a works-based theology. He is saying, if your foundation is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you don't have to worry about the foundation. But he is saying that what you've built on that will be shown for what it is when the fire comes, when the storm comes, and you will suffer incredible loss. But you'll get through the fire as one who's saved. And then he goes on in verse 16, and he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, I'm grateful to be in the South where, where people in the South have discovered that in the English language needs a second person plural. The other people in other parts of the world don't understand that y'all is a necessary part of, of the vocabulary because in English... Technically, we don't have a second person plural. When I say you, I could be talking to Walter, you, Walter, but I could just as easily be saying you, Southside Baptist Church. But in the South, we are smarter than that, and we know that we need to distinguish between the two, so we say y'all. So when you read what Paul is writing, the good English translation is this. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? Amen. I got a first amen of the day. (laughs) So is Paul talking to a church, to a group of believers in Corinth, or is he talking to individual believers in that church? Is he talking personally to 
to you? Is he talking personally to me? Is he talking corporately to us? And the answer is yes. He's talking to both. Because the strength of any church is always determined by the durability of the people's faith who are in the church. You are the church. We said that over and over again at Southside. And the durability of this church is determined by the endurance of the faith of the people who come to it. So when Paul writes all of this, don't dismiss it and say, well, that's just something for people who are in leadership at church and for other people to deal with. That is talking about the church. No, he's talking about you and your faith. He's talking about you and your home. But he is also talking to us collectively as believers. And so this morning, I want to take some time and I want to deal with both of these just briefly as we begin this series called Built to Last. First, I want to talk to you specifically about a church that is built to last. And, and we, we need to acknowledge what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. And it's something for which I am so grateful that it, it is true and I cling on to this. And I actually recite this back to Jesus to remind him that he said it. You ever do that? You should. It's, it's, people throughout the Bible always were reminding God what he said. And so it's a good thing to do in your prayer life. Here's what Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, the foundation is secure. The church will prevail because Jesus Christ is the one who builds it. But I still believe what Paul says is true. How we come in and what we build upon that foundation does matter. Do you know we live at a time in our world where the gospel is reaching the the farthest corners of the world that it's ever reached before. The church is growing, but do you know in America there's an epidemic of church closures? Churches that are not making it. Is that because of what Jesus said? Does that bring into question what Jesus said? No, it doesn't bring into question what Jesus said. Because any church that closes down tomorrow, the church of Jesus will continue to prevail. The gospel will continue to prevail because Jesus is building it. But the way we build on that foundation as a local congregation matters. A couple years ago as a church, we got together and there were about 40 Southsiders who came together. And we set forward what we called Southside's 2020 vision. And I just want to remind you this morning uh, what we said in that vision as we considered carefully how to build on the foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ. We said this, by the year 2020, Southside Baptist Church will have a culture in which every member, every member is inspired, equipped, and empowered to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment by investing in relationships with the lost and inviting them into the family of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Every member, no exception. We are the church. You are the church. What what are they going to do? As a church, we come together to inspire people, to equip people, to empower people, to do what? To fulfill the great commission and the great commandment. What is that? The great commission, the great commandment, the great commission. Go into all the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great commandment, love God and love other people. We, we want to build a place where you come here and you're inspired to do that, but not just inspired, but you're equipped in small groups and seminars and classes and in relationships that will equip you to do that. And then we want to empower you. Listen, you don't have to have a title to be a disciple. The minute you said you would follow Christ, the, the highest title you could ever receive, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus was given to you. And it doesn't matter what your job is. 
where you work, if you're retired. God has given you a mission and a ministry right in front of you. And as a church, we want to say we need to be about empowering people to fulfill what it is that God has called them to do. And how do you do that? Intentionally, by investing in people around you who need to hear about the love of Jesus in a loving way and by inviting them to be a part of the family of God. The church's mission is not for its members, but for its non-members. We exist to reach beyond ourselves, to touch the ends of the world with the love and the message of Jesus Christ. And so as a church, we said, this is our 2020 vision. There were four objectives that we said we must do if we're going to see that happen. The first one is to magnify the name of Jesus and what he is accomplishing in the lives of his people. You see, the church cannot be marketed. Jesus must be magnified. You can buy a billboard, you can pay for airtime and commercial time to advertise the church, but ultimately, Jesus must be magnified and is only magnified in your life and in my life. How does that happen? Well, one of the ways it happens is because you stand as a witness that if you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, when the storms come, you can endure. Some of you have stories to tell. You've endured terrible loss. You've endured terrible tragedy. You've overcome incredible obstacles. And you did that because of Jesus' grace in your life and because of his provision. And as we gather to worship, we celebrate what it is that God has done. And a world who is watching sees Jesus lifted up. And they're attracted to that. We have to magnify the name of Jesus. But the second thing we said we had to do is we have to diversify our ministries and our program to reach the diverse people God is bringing into our city. Do you realize that Jacksonville is one of the most quickly diversifying cities in the United States of America? And if you doubt me, go into any 24-hour store after 10 p.m. and look around. God is bringing the nations to the city of Jacksonville. And he is doing that, I am convinced, because he got tired of waiting on us to go to them. So he said, I will bring them to you. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation are passing in the shadow of our steeples. And as a church, we said, we have to diversify our ministries and our program. This foundation we've been given is sure. Are we being intentional about how we build upon it? We said, there's no way we can do that by ourselves. So we set a very ambitious goal that's right in line with the history of this church that goes back to its very foundation. And that is, we said, we will plant five churches by the year 2020. Southside, it's the year 2015, and we planted two of the five. On Sunday afternoon, uh, the Corinne Baptist Church meets in this building. It's touching over 400 Corinne speakers in the city of Jacksonville. They're the only known church in the city that is ministering to the Corinne people in their own language. There are over a thousand Korean speakers in the city of Jacksonville. That happened because Southside said, we are going to be intentional as a church and careful how we build. The beginning of this year, we partnered together and planted City Church that's meeting just down the road from us, right across from Panera in Columbus, the Knights of Columbus Hall. And we said we wanted to be more effective at reaching out to a younger demographic, folks who may never come into a traditional building but who need the message of the gospel. And since that church was, was started back in February, they've baptized over 25 people. And so two of the five churches, but we still have three. What is God calling us to do as we diversify? But it's more than just about church planting. Southside, when I came seven years ago, 
I came and I found a gymnasium and a workout room and showers, state-of-the-art, locked up, and they've been pretty much locked up for seven years. When are we going to take seriously the stewardship we've been given of the facilities God's granted us in order to open the back door for people who will never come in the front door? See, this is what it means to say we're going to magnify the name of Jesus and we're going to diversify our ministries and our programs, but we said there was more that we had to do. We had to unify our fellowship in order to maximize our ability to accomplish these goals. Now, here's what unity is not. Unity is not thoughtless uniformity. It does not mean everybody has to look like you, dress like you, talk like you, like your kind of music, like your style of music, like the seat that you sit. It does not mean they have to be like you in all those ways. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that as a congregation and as a body of believers, we're unified in our commitment to Jesus and his mission. We are unified in that. We're unified in our commitment to the word of God and building our lives and our church upon that solid rock. And we're unified in our love for each other that overcomes any differences that we have. And our love for people who are not like us, who are outside of the walls of this building. That we must love like Jesus called us to love. And we're unified in that love. It's one of the reasons why, beginning on November 29th, we're changing our schedule. All of our small groups will meet at 9.30, and we will have one unified service that will meet at 11 o'clock right here in this room. And I hope you'll come and be a part of it. And I hope you'll sit next to different people who are younger than you, who look different than you, who dress different than you. Because they need you. They need the faith. They need to see examples of enduring faith. But can I tell you this? You need to know this. You need them. You need their creativity. You need their energy. You need the hope that they have that will carry the future of this church long past any of us are here. We have to unify ourselves. We have to, finally, we have to simplify our organization to allow our people to focus more time and energy on reaching the lost. When I arrived at Southside Baptist Church that summer, the church was averaging about 250 people in, in attendance and in one service. And it took 72 people to fulfill all the requirements of the church bylaws. 72 people, not to do any ministry, just to make sure the organization kept moving the way it was supposed to be moving. 72 people who were busy doing administrative work at the church, but not engaged in the mission of the church according to the bylaws. Southside, we have continued to struggle with a system and a structure that prohibits and inhibits us from doing what God has called us to do. And i got to tell you, God has done amazing things in this church, but he has done it in spite of our organization, not because of it. And we have to be willing to say we need to simplify our organization in order to fulfill the commission that God has given us to do. It's part of the reason tonight our governance task force is presenting a new set of bylaws that they've worked on. They've invited you to speak into. They've invited for your feedback. And they're bringing it to you tonight because we have to get serious about organizing ourselves, simplifying our administration so that we can focus on the mission that God has given us as a church. How do you know if you have a faith that will endure? You have a faith that is tested. That's how. In 2008, when I came to Southside Baptist Church, many of you who were here will remember that the church had been through a trial. It had been shaken and tested. Some of you who have been here a long time said it was probably the greatest, the greatest test the church has ever endured. Meanwhile, Sherry and I and our four kids were enjoying pleasant weather in Huntsville, Alabama, a city we loved and a church we loved, and 
you invited us to enter into your storm. And I have to tell you that seven years ago, almost to the day, when Sherry and I came and accepted, it was the storm, it was the testing, it was the challenge, it it, it was the faith that rose out of the ashes that has proved to be enduring, an enduring faith. Not just ours as a church, but mine personally. I see now what God did through the storm that he invited me to participate in and how he has deepened my faith and how he has tested the materials with which I was building my faith and pointed out to me the weaknesses in order that I could build something stronger and enduring that would long outlast. Southside, that's what he was doing in our church. And we must continue to be careful, and you must be careful in your life to have a faith that is built to last. It's not just about a church that's built to last, but an individual faith that's built to last. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said Hebrews chapter 12 verse 26 when God spoke from Mount Sinai his voice shook the earth but now he makes another promise once again I will shake not only the earth but the heavens also this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain the way you know you have a faith that will endure is to have a faith that is tested And God is saying, listen, not all things are good, but I will work all things for good. And one of the ways God works all things for good is by allowing the storms in your life to prove to you what it is that will endure and to invite you to reconsider the things that are shaking when the storms and the fires come. Standing in the ashes of our lives, we find the things that endure. It is when we stand in the ashes of our struggles and our trials that we look around and we say, that is the only thing that survived the fire. And then we can build from that something that will endure the next challenge that is sure to come. This reminds me of what James said in James chapter 1. I don't like this verse very much, but but it's in the Bible. And so it's one that I I go to and it brings me some comfort. James said this, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work until you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. That only comes through persevering the storms. The only way to know that you have a faith that endures is to have a faith that is tested. So what areas of your life are being rocked by storms right now? Maybe for some of you, you're on the other side of a storm and you're taking inventory. And you're realizing now that you have built a lot that just got blown away. And you're shoveling it all aside. And God's inviting you now to go forward from that storm, building with things that will endure and that will last. But some of you are going through the storm right now. And in the middle of the storm, you can see the things that are about to blow away. You can see the things that you might lose. And what are you going to do after the storm? Is your marriage on shaky ground? Is your relationship with your children or friends on shaky ground? Is it inviting you to reevaluate how you invest your time with people? Not just driving them from one event to another or sending them an occasional message digital message, but actually face-to-face having conversations that matter, those relationships that you hope will endure. How much time are you investing in them? Maybe for you it's finances. Maybe you're looking at your finances and you're thinking, I don't think my finances can endure one more, one more gust of wind. Can I tell you there's another gust of wind coming? And so there's no time like the present to consider what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're building on and what are you building it with? See, Here's, 
I've told, I've confessed before, I'm a terrible counselor one-on-one. There are some things that I want to say to you per- personally that I can only say to you all together. So I'm just going to say to this to everybody all together, okay? Because this is, your good intentions will not determine the strength of your faith. Your good intentions will not determine the strength of your marriage. Your good intentions will not give you good relationships with your children or with your parents. Your good intentions will not make sure that your finances are secure. Your good intentions will do nothing. Your decisions and your actions and your choices will. That's why Galatians 6-7 is a true principle that you don't even have to believe anything else in the Bible to know that this is true. As a man sows, so will he reap. It is not about your good intentions. It's about the decisions you made and the building material you're using to build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7, 9 says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Will you read that with me? If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. What foundation are you building on? What material are you using? The rain is coming. The floods will rise. The wind will blow. The fire will come. May we, Southside, be found carefully, intentionally building a church that prevails and a faith that endures. Father, we come to you today and we're so grateful of the things that we don't have to worry about. We don't have to worry about our salvation because we know that it was secured through the cross of Christ and our faith in Jesus is all that you ask. And for many of us, we placed our faith in Christ. For others today, maybe they look back over the course of their life and they realize they can tell us testimony and a story about how their life was blown apart. And it was only after the storm that they recognized they needed you as their foundation. But for many of us in the room today, Lord, it's not about the foundation. It's about how we're building upon the foundation. And Father, we've complained about the storms. We've cried about the storms. We've prayed about the storms. But Lord, I would ask that you would remind us that the storms can help us identify those areas in our life in which you're inviting us to reconsider the building material we're using. Lord, today... We ask that you would help us as a church be a church that prevails. Lord, churches, organizations will come and go, but your word will remain forever. Your church will withstand the gates of hell. Father, we want to be a part of a prevailing church. But we recognize and know that the only way we can be a part of a a church that prevails is if we have faith that will endure. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to evaluate, to make the changes that are necessary to be conformed to the image of your son. And we thank you for your faithfulness through the midst of all those changes. Father, in this time of commitment and invitation, we ask that you would move. Father, that you'd remind us, maybe call us back to the very basic building blocks of our relationship with you. We pray all this in the precious, firm name of our Savior, our rock, Jesus Christ. Amen.